0: What's up, world? Welcome back to Authentically Us, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do in every space that you occupy. I'm Conroy Smith. I'm one of the hosts. And we got Tony here. Tony, say what's up to the people, man.
1: What's going on, y'all? I'm always here.
0: Guys, um, we have a wonderful guest today. But before we jump in, pause. Pause this podcast. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Give us a like. Go to our Instagram. TikTok. YouTube, follow us.
1: All of it. We're everywhere.
0: Everywhere,
1: follow us. Can't get away. Give us a
0: rating. Also, go to our link tree. Um, We have some resources there. And shout out to MSW uh, for having us on their uh, website and their platform. But without further ado, we have a wonderful guest today, and I don't want to hold y'all any longer. So let's get into it, guys. We have a special guest today. Um, this lady is a author of Utility Player Life. She's a director of Positive Coaching Alliance. She's a speaker, an MC, a mentor, and an NCAA champion with UCLA softball. Marty Reed. Well, Marty Reed Love recently on the podcast today. Marty, welcome to Authentically Us.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you,
0: Yes, we are. First of all, excited. Um, also congrats on your recent marriage, newlywed. Thank you. You're hey. <laughs> on that high right now,
2: you know. Yes.
0: Live on it. Live on it. At least that's what Tony tells me. Um, but we're gonna <laughs> jump. We're gonna jump straight in. Um, to the to the podcast. Uh, could you tell us a little bit? And share with the listeners um, about your early years and what your childhood was.
2: Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Long Beach, California. Where
0: Snoop Dogg Um, is from, right?
2: Yes. Everybody (laughs) knows Long Beach for Snoop Dogg. (laughs) There's a lot more to Long Beach than Snoop, but uh, that is a big part of it. But yeah, I grew up in Long Beach. Um, I'm the youngest of three. Uh, My siblings and I are best friends. We're super competitive. I grew up at the baseball field. My dad was a professional baseball player in the minors. My brother played. So we were constantly at the field. Um I ran track. I played volleyball, basketball. So we were really a sports family. I like to say I played everything that involved land and not water. Mm. Um so I was playing all types of sports and um yeah, it was really just a competitive kid. Love that was a way to get me out of my shell and make me very active. Um, and that kind of led me to the p- trajectory of life that I'm on now, working in sports and everything like that. But yeah, I grew up in the church of Christian faith. Um, I love my family, that's part of my core values. I'm a huge family person, but yeah, my childhood was, um, I'd say pretty good. It was definitely strict. My dad was not a military man, but you would think he was just the way he ran his household. We had chores, you know, we couldn't go outside and play until our homework was done and chores were done and things like that. So yeah, he ran a very firm house, but it definitely shaped me to the person I am today. And then my mom, she's like my hero. Mm. Uh, She was a Principal of elementary school for many, many years, she retired in twenty eighteen and when she retired, they named the street after her wow. like she is a boss, so watching her and you know just always striving to be the best version of herself, I get a lot of my drive and um you know that spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit from her so that's just a quick little rundown of me and my upbringing yeah
1: so so it's huge um that you were a part of UCLA uh, softball uh, and won the championship. What got you into softball other than it being in your family?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, I chose softball as like my competitive sport next level that I played in college because I was the best at it. To be honest, volleyball is my favorite sport. <laughs> if I'm keeping it real, I would have loved to play volleyball in college, but I just wasn't tall enough, wasn't good enough. But um, so understanding that or I started getting recruited when I was in high school and started to see the trajectory of, okay, I can really take this somewhere. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to a school that was academically just as competitive as it was athletically. And like I said, I'm a competitive person, and UCLA was that school for softball then, right? Right now, Oklahoma's got the crown. They've been going back-to-back championships, but back in the day when I was being recruited, UCLA was able to say, if you go here, you will win at least one championship ring. Like, that's how much they had it on lock. They had the game in a chokehold. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was my favorite. uh school and my mom did take me to a UCLA softball game when I was 12 years old and, and at that time track was my main sport but me being a young girl going and watching a softball game and seeing a black shortstop by the name of Natasha Watley wearing that UCLA across her chest that's when the seed was planted and I was like I want to be her I want to go here I want to play softball I, to, I didn't even know black girls really played softball like that you know so seeing that um, and I'm a huge proponent of like, if you can see it, you can become it. So that representation really matters. Seeing her and she was on the Olympic team. She excelled. She's she's coached me. She's one of my mentors still to this day. We're great friends. She was at my wedding, everything. So um, I would say seeing someone that looked like me playing the position that I play was really what had me um, with that dream to play softball at UCLA.
1: So. I'm curious how many other, uh, black players were on the team, uh, when you were playing.
2: So my first black teammate was when I got to be a junior, a freshman came in black girl, and then we had another transfer black girl. So I had two black teammates. Um, you said this is your first black teammate. And are you talking about college? College. But, hey, I did have a black teammate uh, when I was like 12 because I made my cousin come play. (laughs) Other than that, never. You're talking
0: less than five. You're literally saying less than five.
2: Yeah, it looks much different now. There's so many more. I mean, you go look at UCLA softball today, super diverse. There's a lot of girls of color playing and participating, so I love to see it. But, yeah, back when I was playing, it was far few in between wow
1: yes so, so i'm even more curious of you know when you played softball you were one of the few like yes you saw this one black uh lady doing it did you still struggle with like if i'm really black should i be doing a different sport
2: of course of course people will come up to me they would actually go up to my dad all the time and be like you should put her in tennis. You should put her in Like they would tell him to put me in a different sport. One, because like the opportunity to play at a professional level and actually make money was bigger in a sport like tennis. Um, So that's really where they were coming at it. And also, you know, just to be around more of your kind, it feels more comfortable. Uh, There was definitely moments where I felt like an outsider on my own team, you know, being the only black girl on the team getting asked the questions all the time or like oh how do you do this dance you know i'll tell you a quick story i remember i was nine years old the first softball team i was on and in softball we do a lot of cheers right it's like we make up cheers we're doing cheers all the time so they're making up cheers to their songs and um a lot of the songs they'd make up cheers to would be like country songs that i'd never heard of you know so i'm in the dugout learning these cheers with them and then I was like, I've got a song, I got a cheer, I wanna try, and my favorite group was outcast. So I was like, aha, hit that ball, hit it up the middle, let's go, golden dick. And I swear to you, they all just looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, okay, guess not. Like that was one of that first moment where I like saw, okay, you are not the same. Like, mm. you know, I felt like an outcast on my own team. Um, So yeah, there was a lot of moments like that where it was uncomfortable. Um, So I think how I was able to overcome that really was just relying on my talent to just outshine everything else in a way where they just had to shut up and kind of watch me do my thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they couldn't really say anything when I was out there balling, right? Like when I was out there um, succeeding. But I will say, It wasn't just in softball. It was also in school, you know, being one of the only black kids in like the gifted classes and people saying, oh, you speak so well, uh, you know, or oh, you're so beautiful for a black girl. Like these Mm -hmm. backhanded compliments um, Mm -hmm. and these microaggressions that at the time I didn't really know how to react to them or what to say to them. But looking back on it and, you know, as I've grown and grown in this diversity, equity and inclusion space as well. Understanding what microaggressions are and the impact that they have long term, I speak about this a lot now to coaches and to athletes today and how to um, you know manage those things and how to you know make sure that we're not just letting those subtle things slide because they'll perpetuate and continue and add more issues and problems in the long run
0: yeah, Tony and I talk a lot about those little microaggressions. We grew up in a i mean we were talking before you went to Williams. Williamsport and Tony and I are from a very small town. So plenty of microaggressions essentially our, our whole lives. Um, and especially when it comes to sports. Now I played rugby um, mm-hmm. professionally for a little bit and rugby in the United States, right? Essentially there is a stereotype. Like if you are fast and black, they throw you on the end because then okay. they put you at wing. So most black players that play rugby here in the United States are on the wing. Is right. there a position in softball where they're like, Oh, that's the, like, do they essentially label you and put you in a position?
2: Um, I would say they automatically assumed that I was a slapper, which is like left-handed where you run and tap the ball and just use your speed to get on base. But no, I batted right-handed I swung and I, hit for power and that was something that they just assume like oh she must be a slapper because she's fast um uh yeah i would say that would be the position as far as like hitting and then defense wise probably center field shortstop, where like the fast girls are
0: yeah it's interesting that that is a thing you know and obviously i love what you're doing with uh your your the company that you work for a positive coaching alliance um but before we jump into that i did want to i did want to pull back and uh, mm-hmm. talk about what made you choose UCLA like out of all the colleges like why UCLA um well i
2: wanted to win a championship i did number one i was like man just like It's hard to say no when you walk into, I mean, on my recruit trip and they like put the rings on you and they show you all the trophies and they're (laughs) rolling out the red carpet and you're just like, wow, this is. And like I mentioned prior, you know, I wanted to go somewhere where it was just as competitive academically because academics was big for me. I knew softball wasn't going to be the end all be all to my life and my future. Um, So where can I get a great education? and also potentially win a championship. So UCLA was that number one choice. I was getting recruited by other schools and I almost went to Cal Berkeley. I almost signed with Cal, but then it turned out, because UCLA actually didn't have any more athletic scholarships and I was a scholarship athlete. Like for me, you couldn't tell me I wasn't going somewhere and getting paid, you know, Mm -hmm. financially covering my, uh, you know, Uh, school to go to that school and play softball, right? Um, Where I'm getting offers from Stanford, all these schools that are great, you know, so to go to UCLA where they didn't even have an athletic scholarship available the year I was coming in, uh, because they needed a catcher and I wasn't a catcher. I was just going to go to Cal. And then Cal actually called us and was like, our pitcher broke her arm, we have to give your scholarship away to a pitcher. Oh. We still want you to come here, but we don't have, you know, and at that point I was like, wait a minute, like, okay, if that's the case, I'm just gonna go to UCLA. And I ended up getting academic scholarship enough to pay for my first two years there. And then the second two years I was on athletic scholarship. So it was a full circle moment and actually a blessing in disguise. Cause if I would have gone there on a full ride athletically, then I would have just been in this softball bubble and not really ventured out and been involved in things on campus. Because in order to keep that academic scholarship money coming in, I had to go to meetings, I had to be involved, I had to do community service, do all these things. So that was a blessing in disguise because when you're on a campus like UCLA, there's so many cool things and so many opportunities and cultures and stuff to learn and if you just stick into your athletic box and athletic bubble it's kind of a missed opportunity in my opinion Mm -hmm. being able to experience both like that
0: yeah that's one thing i regret um from college is staying with like my athletic bubble i ran track in college and then also just staying within my major and Mm -hmm. i went to liberty university Mm -hmm. um and just so you know uh may may 20th this year um liberty Upset UCLA, but we don't have to talk about it. Um, in softball,
2: that <laughs> yeah, was heartbreaking. It was very heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. It was great for us. It was great I for know. us.
0: Yeah. But yes, that's one thing I do regret is not being able to branch out. I'm like, man, I went to a school. Even you, you went to UCLA, where so many cultures are there, so many uh different ethnicities, different perspectives. I'm like, oh man, I wish. I would have branched out, but you have one thing that I never could achieve, which is a national championship. So, walk me through what that year looked like up until the the last inning. Like I want to I want to hear kind of like your perspective.
2: Yeah. Well, so <laughs> funny that you mentioned Liberty in that upset because it reminded me of my freshman year. And when we got upset by Missouri, we had we were the second ranked team in the country and an unranked team beat us and knocked us out of regionals. We had the exact same team the next year, the year we won it all, my sophomore year, with just maybe we lost one senior. So pretty much we should have had two championships. Um, we knew we were the best team that year. So having that like, upset the year before really just woke us up and like lit a fire within us where we were like we never want to feel like that again. Like wow we're supposed to be there at the end and we got upset. That was just so humiliating. So we didn't take any game for granted. Like my sophomore year, we came out there like every single game with a focus as if it was the championship game. Mm -hmm. We would practice with crowd noise on because when you're at the championship, when you're in um um, OKC and you're at that arena, it's so loud. Like you can't hear the person that's like 10 feet away from you. Cause everyone is just so, it's just, it's a different level. Right. Um, so we would practice with crowd noise on, we practice nighttime sometime with the game lights and just like creating that noise where we would have to just be so focused on playing your game so the way we locked in that year was impressive and we gelled we felt like a family you know um and when we were at the college world series i remember everyone was there all the other teams it's it's the top eight teams you know and they do interviews right beforehand of like tell us where you're from tell us you know a fun fact about you right and we weren't allowed to say anything about our personal lives. Our coach, it was like we came for business and business only. Like, we weren't allowed to be like, oh, my favorite <laughs> show is Game of Thrones. Like, we couldn't say mm-hmm. anything like that. It was, it was like, a business trip. This isn't about you. It's about the team. Like, that's the mentality hey. that the coach had ingrained in our heads.
0: Locked and
2: in. I get it it's different now they're a lot more able to like be themselves and have show their personality and stuff but when we were participating in this back then oh my gosh it was like a different level I And mean, we were hated by the other teams because of that they were like ucla thinks they're so good they think this is da, da, da. and it was true we did feel that way um they even had an amusement park there and we weren't allowed to go on the rides they had like rented it out for all the eight teams all these teams are like playing, giggling, having fun. And we just had to sit there and watch them. because our coach was like, we're not here for that. So it was strictly business (laughs) Um, and focus. Um, And then, yeah, we just, we hit a stride and did not back down. I think what a lot of people don't understand is like to win a championship everything has to work at the right time, right? Mm-hmm. Like the team has to be healthy. You know, we got to overcome injuries, all these different things. And you have to show up when it matters most, right? John Wooden talks about competitive greatness when your best is needed, right? So we really exemplified a competitive greatness. Uh, the championship game was against University of Arizona. It went into extra innings. I ended up uh, scoring the tying run in the game. That felt like an out-of-mind, out-of-body experience. Literally, I felt like I was watching myself. But it was wild. Um, but I remember thinking, like, if we... Whoever scores is going to win this game. Like, whoever ties it up or if they let us one more... If they give us one more shot, we're going to win the whole thing. And we did. We ended up winning the entire series. Um, and it was amazing. I had a moment... I mean, we were crying jumping on each other celebrating it was wild because there's really not much to do out there so we went to IHOP after the game like (laughs) like oh you just win the championship and you went to IHOP like I mean what else are we gonna do so um but yeah it's wild because in those moments like the other team they did great they're such a great ball club um and we were the ones that came out on top that day. And I just remember thinking like, man, we were this close to beat on that side of the coin. And I just can't imagine, oh, what that's like. Like, you know, when you win something and in that moment you're celebrating, you look over and you see they have the opposite reaction. It's just like, oh my gosh, wild.
1: So, you know, like that's a lot of pressure. You know, I'm thinking what your coach said of like, we're not here for that. We're here for business. Um, it's a lot of pressure. Talk to us about how you navigated your mental health, um, during your career and what advice would you give to other athletes?
2: I think that's a really good question. Um, I'm much better at, acknowledging and speaking about this now, but I would say when I was in it, I struggled with this a lot. I struggled with performance pressure when I got to UCLA, especially being a walk-on recruited athlete. Like there is a different feeling when you're not on a full ride athletic scholarship and some of your teammates are, you know, you're kind of getting put into this bucket where you feel like you have to work even harder, and prove yourself, right? So I constantly fluctuated in and out of the lineup. I felt like I was like that first person off the bench, and prior to UCLA, I had never sat the bench before, so that was really a humbling experience. And I dealt with performance pressure, and that. back then I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know I was dealing with anxiety at the time, you know, constantly, you know, questioning my worth and my value, um, you know, knowing that I could have gone to any other school and been like the star player, but I chose to go to you know this school that had a freaking squad where everybody are all Americans, you know, you're battling against the best of the best. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Um, I would say I had to constantly practice managing my emotions. And I think sports just in general has such a unique gift to help us manage stress. And I always call it, call it like positive stress. If you put it in that perspective, I try to perspective align and like, and and remind myself in those moments, because like, you know, I'm not on an operating table as a surgeon trying to save somebody's life in this moment, right? That's a different pressure. I'm trying to perform for my team in the bottom of the seventh inning with the bases loaded and two outs, you know, that is pressure. And in that moment, you don't know what is what, right? It still feels that deep and that heavy. So being able to kind of, take a step back and kind of remind myself of the perspective I'm taking that this is a chosen pressure that I'm feeling right now this is chosen stress this is positive stress i can get through this so um it was constantly re uh, writing that story that i was telling myself in my head in those moments um practicing my breathing breathing deeply breathing slowly trying to slow things down um, and uh, having just valuing the relationships that I had in my life, you know, having people around me that cared about me beyond my performance out there on the field was crucial for my career in competitive sports. Like my mom, my brother, being able to call them, talk to them, let them know anything. Right. Um, I think music was a big thing for me as well. I had playlists that I can just put on that'll instantly change my mood. Uh, So these are just some of those like tangible things that I would suggest athletes today, you know, have and um, use, but also not being afraid to ask for help. Like if it does get so heavy, that sometimes it does feel like it's the world on your shoulders. I heard somebody say a quote one time where it's like, whether you're drowning in 50 feet of water or three feet of water, you're still drowning, right? You don't know the difference there. So not minimizing someone's experience and really knowing that it's okay to share and talk to someone about it and not be silent. I feel like over these past, I'd say two, three years, the stigma around mental health, especially for athletes has been um, broken down much more. Thank God, you know, Um, because when I was going through it, it wasn't something you talk about. I just feel like sports in general is a culture of you know you're supposed to be tough you're not supposed to show weakness you're not supposed to you know admit when you're struggling cuz then you know that could maybe affect your playing time or something right so um being able to have those outlets and trusted resources and people around you that you can go to um i think is crucial and very important
0: yeah i i have a lot of friends who were college athletes uh, especially women and i feel like um i hear either they had a great experience with their college coach or they had a horrible experience with their college coach. And I think as a fellow college athlete, it was hard. Like there was no, there was no guidance, especially around mental health. It was just Mm -hmm. like, you just go to practice. Like our therapy was practice Mm -hmm. and yes, that worked Mm -hmm. some of the time, but What about after practice where we had to go home, where we're stressed with family things or we're stressed with relationships and I still have this paper to write, but I'm still not over what happened from earlier today or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I think, like you said, it is a thing that is talked about now, but Mm -hmm. I know when I was in college, you even mentioned when you were in college, there was nothing. No. So you mentioned now recently you are uh better at it now what changed?
2: Honestly, uh, seeing um athletes, professional athletes like Kevin Love and mm. Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles like speak openly about these issues. These are elite athletes, right? Um that are breaking that stigma. I feel like that has um, helped a lot, you know, once you break the silence, you break the stigma and it allows us to really, you know, not feel ashamed or afraid to admit when we're going through something or when things are hard. Um, so I think that's one thing because before when no one was talking about it, you don't really know, you didn't know how to name it. You didn't even know what you were dealing with at the time. Um, so I think that's changed and just, Having a new perspective on my life and my worth and my value and it not being so tied to outcomes and results, Ooh. I feel like I wasn't as good at, at that it's tough when I was in college, right? Going through it when I was a competitive athlete. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at my stats. Yeah, yeah I'm fighting for was, a scholarship. Yeah, yeah, I'm fighting for a spot and for a scholarship. And those things matter, right? It's as much as I want to say, no, you just worry about the process and let the rest take care of itself and don't look at that stuff, you know, but now as an adult looking back on it, yeah, I'm much more in tune with a different side of success where it's not just tied to the end result and it's tied to me being authentically myself and me walking in my purpose and me experiencing joy and love and, you know, all these things that allow me to continue to keep going.
1: So uh, we've had a lot of athletes on on the podcast and they've talked about this athlete identity where um, there came a point in their journey where they had to think through, who am I without my sport? Can mm-hmm. you talk to us about what that was like for you?
2: That's literally what this book, Utility Player Life, is all about. (laughs) Nice segue there. But honestly, that's literally what I wrote the book about. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: How to understand my unique value proposition, who I am, what I can do now that the thing that I've worked so hard and dedicated so much of my life towards is coming to an end. Like that feeling is can be all-consuming. It can be scary. It can be, um, you know, it's like we're experiencing retirement at such a young age and you have a whole nother life to live, right? And everything about you is tied into this one thing. So for me, I think because also knowing that I'm a woman in sports and I didn't have an opportunity to make millions of dollars with this skill set that I have in sports after I'm done with my college career, right? Um, Always had my head thinking about other things that I'm passionate about beyond just the um, playing field. So that helped. (laughs) Um, And then also, like I mentioned earlier, because I had that academic scholarship, I had to get involved in a lot of other things on campus. So just branching out was another way for me to connect and like learn about other people and things and be more of a well-rounded individual rather than just so focused on my sport knowing that like there's other things that bring me happiness in this world beyond softball um and then what it looked like for me that transition it wasn't as hard for me as it was for a lot of my friends because I started thinking about it sooner. I started sitting down with professors, Mm -hmm. teammates, parents, their friends, and just asking questions about like what is what is it that you do? How'd you get into it? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Here's what you know I'm interested in. Here's what I like to do. Now that you know a little bit more about me, is there anything that you would suggest that? I do to grow in this space. Is there anyone you suggest that I sit down with and meet? Is there any books that you suggest I read? I started gaining these mentors and just being curious and asking questions and then asking them how I can provide value. Like some of them had their own, let's say, podcast, and I would listen in and take notes for them. Just anything that I can do to learn from them. They don't teach you this kind of stuff in school, right? (laughs) I was getting this knowledge beyond the classroom at UCLA, right? That I was going to be able to use in life beyond sports. That was just invaluable to be, to be honest. Like it was just crazy. All the things that I was learning just from being able to be a sponge and soak up from different people that were already professionals in their life and willing to teach me how to do it. Um, And I never asked for a job. I never was like, can you hire me or can you, do you have any internship opportunities? I never asked for anything, but when I graduated, I had like three job opportunities and internships lined up. So I got to choose what I wanted just based on doing those informational interviews.
0: That's so wild to me. Like, cause what are we? 21, 22, when we're graduating, what 21 and 22 year old athlete is thinking about that? So they hear that. I'm like, I'm thinking about when I was graduating, I was like, definitely not thinking about talking to no parents. Definitely Mm -hmm. wasn't talking to no professors. I was, but it's also different male versus female sports, right? I ran track and track is a sport that you can continue post college. Um, Softball. I don't know if, I don't know if you can, it's very small, right?
2: they They do have a professional league now, which is really cool to see. Otherwise, yeah, ESPN and stuff. So, yeah. which
0: is which is amazing. But it's like I just feel like the, the opportunities is so small, especially I mean, track and softball. Right. They're very they're not right. paid well. Right. Right. So right. it was like, you got to figure it out, you know, and I think for men. Well, let me speak for myself. It, it's it's still been a hard separation because I ran track and after track, I switched to rugby. So then I've had my stent with rugby, and I still play here and there. But to like completely like retire from it, it's like I'm like I want to, but people are like, "Are you retired?" I'm like, I don't know. It's it is this hard push and pull to be a athlete, and like you said, to give up something you've done since the age of eight, six some of us four years old and then be like, okay, I'm done with that. But mm-hmm. I'm 30. Like, I, what do you mean I'm done with that? Like, I think I can still do it. And yeah. it, and it's such a hard, it's such a hard realization for an right. athlete to come to. So I'm assuming you talk about that a little bit in your book. Um, can you a little elaborate on kind of how you describe that? Also, what is a utility player?
2: Yeah. So. A utility player in sports is a player that's capable of of selling in multiple positions, right? When I was at UCLA, I came in as a shortstop, but then I played right field, first base, second base, honestly, anywhere the coach needed me, right? So being able to compete at multiple positions will be a utility player, right? So when I talk about a utility player in life, being able to adjust and adapt and create opportunities for yourself, right? Make yourself valuable to teams. And we all play multiple positions in life. We're all a family member to someone, right? We're all a friend to someone. We're a student. I say we're a student in life. Even if you're no longer in traditional school, you should still be finding ways to learn and grow in your life. Um, I say we're all an athlete in life. I still have a competitive mindset. I still want to live a healthy lifestyle. You know, even though I'm not suiting up in gear and, you know, uniform like I used to, I still consider myself an athlete in life. Um, We're a professional in life. What you do to earn a living and last but not least, a community member. How you make an impact on others. So I talk about, you know, playing all these positions and being utility players in life. And when I wrote the book, it was really how do we purposefully leverage those skills that we learn through our sport to take us where we want to go in life? And it's a lot of those things, like I just gave you an example, being able to meet and network and ask the right questions to learn and grow. That's one example. Um, how do we use our skill set of time management? using our skill set of teamwork, using our skill set of understanding how to work with different personalities. So it's like, yeah, you might not have traditional job experience as a student athlete, but you do have a lot of skill sets that are going to be very useful. You're coachable, right? You're able to um, learn, adjust, adapt. You have leadership traits. Like some of these things are hard to teach, Mm. right? So I think it's very it, it's awesome to hire a former athlete in um, different jobs. And I think it's great to, uh, a lot of people want to start off as an entrepreneur and they say, oh, I'm going to start a business, you know, like right after they graduate. And it's like, well, how about you take some time to learn from someone first, get some of those skill sets. And then start your business or start it on the side while you're learning the traits and while you're learning from someone who's going to take you under under their wing and help you um, grow in these spaces and in these areas. So I wrote the book really to help athletes have less anxiety while they're going through this transition. You're going to feel scared. That's Mm. normal. I'm not saying that this is going to remove any fear. No, it's scary to, you know, feel like you're starting over again. But I want you to understand, you're not starting from square run. You have some traits that are going to be very useful um, in these next chapters of your life. There's just some things you might need to let go of and learn how to transition and look at differently in your life after sports. Like I talk about it on social media. I talk about different af- athlete identities that we can release in life after sports. Like it takes us some time. but It's like, it's okay to no longer feel like you need to be the first, the only, or the best at every single thing that you do, you know? Like in your life after sports, we can let go of that and understand that this is about growing and learning. Making mistakes are okay as long as you're bouncing back and learning and continuing to grow, you know?
1: what? What is your role as director for the Positive Coaching Alliance? And how does that benefit young athletes?
2: Yeah. So, Positive Coaching Lines, we've actually been around since 1998. This is a nonprofit organization that was started out of Stanford University and it's national now. And I'm the director of all of our national partnerships. So, we work with like the NBA, Little League International, all the governing bodies for youth sports, like USA Gymnastics, USA Football, et cetera. And they, Um, utilize us for leadership training and character building workshops for athletes, for coaches, for the parents of the athletes, really focus on that social emotional learning space. So we're not teaching X's and O's, like I'm not teaching how to, you know, dribble with your left hand to a basketball player or basketball coach. We're talking about how do you connect with an athlete? How do you make sure that they know that they're seen, they're valued, they're loved, where they're going to continue to want to come back and play and participate and get the benefits out of sports? Because oftentimes athletes quit because of a coach or a parent that like ruins the experience for them because mm-hmm. they heavily emphasize winning or results. Um, and they don't focus on the, the part that's most important for youth sports, which is developing the character of the athletes that you're coaching. Right. We talk about sports being such a great place, a safe space for kids to practice failing and learning from failure. right. I'm managing that. Sports is a great place for kids to practice empathy and learn how to, you know, get along and love people that don't have the exact same background as them. Right. Um, and th- these types of things aren't just an automatic. It just doesn't happen because you play sports. It happens when coaches and adults are intentional about teaching these life lessons and connecting these dots. So we help um, help them do that with tangible resources um, and workshops. So they do get certified once they go through our workshops. Um, we have online, live, Zoom, et cetera. So I really love it. It's like, Right up my alley, I'm passionate about this. I can talk about it every day. Um, and I think it's really important um, because you know if you're only participating in sports just to get the trophy, then it's a huge missed opportunity.
1: so um you, you're a speaker uh what's speaking been like, and what's been your favorite uh speaking engagement?
2: Okay. Well, it's it's kind of ironic when I hear, okay, I'm a speaker. Because when I was a child, I was so shy. Like sports is what got me out of my shell and like with the ability to like speak in front of people. But I remember when I was a kid, I didn't talk. And that was largely because my siblings, they're super outgoing and they would just talk for me. And I remember I would just be quiet. Someone would say, oh, what's your name? And I just there and I look at my sister and my brother, and then they would answer for me. So to know I went from that to now speaking on stages to like hundreds and thousands of people is wild. Uh, (laughs) But I, and they asked me like, do you get nervous? I do. Every single time I get nervous, I feel the jitters. It feels like game day to me. You know, it feels like this is the thing now that I'm doing that feels like, all right, it's game time. You know, I'm walking out there and what keeps me um able to i'd say excel in this space is that i don't look at myself as like i used to i used to look at myself like this where i got to come in there and say something that's just going to blow their mind and they got to hear something from me that i need to i need to say something that they've never heard before and it's going to blow their mind they're going to be like so grateful that i came and spoke at this event right i used to put that kind of pressure on myself until recently i let go of that and i said listen you're not the expert in the room you're just here to contribute to the conversation right i'm here to share something and they might have heard it before this is something that they definitely have heard before but someone needs to hear it from you i just have to remind myself like someone needs to hear it from me because you know they might see themselves in me they might relate mm-hmm. to me they might have heard it from someone else but it didn't click when they heard it from them right so i just remind myself that like i'm here walking in my purpose god has a plan for me and this is a calling on my life so i just remind myself that it's not about me and if i just continue to step out there and um you know with authenticity have fun with it don't take myself too serious i like to make people laugh i like to also make people move and take action. So I watch and I study, I study preachers, I study comedians, yep. you know, preachers make people move, right? Yep. And comedians make people laugh. So I like to keep it fun. I don't want people to be falling asleep when I'm up there giving a presentation, right? So I'm constantly working on my craft to grow and, um, you know, get better in this space. And the second thing you asked was, what was my favorite speaking engagement? Um Honestly, I think I'm gonna go with the moment I realized that okay, this is a gift or this is a calling. Um, or maybe the second moment I realized that because the first one was I spoke at our graduate, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is a calling. Oh, that was that's a big, big deal. I was I was so nervous, like sick to my stomach, because this <laughs> is now I'm not speaking in front of a group of people I don't know. I'm speaking in front of my peers and my family and their family, like that's more nervous for me than speaking in front of thousands of people that I've never seen before. Um, but my favorite one was the Magic Johnson Foundation. I was a member of the, his scholarship program while I was at UCLA. And he would have a uh, week-long like conference every summer. And he would bring in people to speak at this conference. And they would be like the CEO of FedEx or like, you know, Uh, pro athletes like big names would come and speak to us right and uh the year i graduated or the year after i graduated they were having the summer um conference and i got an email that said hi can you come speak on networking strategies for success at the conference and i was like my first reaction was oh my gosh whoever sent this is about to get fired. They sent out a mass email to all the alumni asking us all to come speak at the conference. Like, oh my gosh, I call. I was like, let me tell them what they just did. Hey, don't know if you're aware of this, but you just sent me an email asking me to come speak at the conference. I don't know how many people got this. They go, no, no, no. That wasn't sent to everybody. That was just sent to you, Marty. We want you to come speak at the conference. I was like, what? And they go, yeah, magic is going to address, um, the crowd first and then you're going to go keep in mind magic only comes two days of this seven day event he comes the first day to welcome us and then the last day on graduation so I was like wait a minute you want me to speak after magic like no 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 no. I just I freaked out and this was early days this was like right after I graduated from UCLA so me coming back to this conference would be speaking for a group of people that all know me I was just in their seats less than 12 months ago they're gonna be like what is marty doing here what is she gonna say to us so i just all these negative things started coming in my head the doubt right the fear everything just started creeping up i still didn't consider myself a speaker yet and i just decided like you know what i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it so i said yes even though they were like oh yeah it's on thursday and this was like a monday i thought i had like a month or something to prepare no it was like two three days so i was like all right i'll do it and then um I get there and uh, I was actually supposed to go first and then he was supposed to go next. And they were like, he he needs to go first because he has somewhere to be. So he's going to address the crowd and then head out and then you can go. And I was like, cool, perfect. Let him go, let him leave. So then I can go do my thing and I don't have the pressure of like having to, you know, go before magic. And then when it was my turn, in the middle of my presentation, I remember looking up and seeing him sitting in the audience, eating a sandwich, watching me. And I like, honestly, I kind of froze. And I was like, oh my God, he's still here? Like, what is he doing still here, right? And I ended up kind of speeding through the rest of the presentation because I was just so nervous. And I was like, let me just wrap this up. And then I finish and I try to go just jet back to my seat. He stands up and goes, wait, 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 hold up. Come back up here. He grabs my hand, makes me go back up on the stage. And he said, That was one of the best presentations that I've heard on networking in a long time. Then he brought his whole like executive team up, like his president, his VP. He was like, I want all my team to come up here. And I want you to say one thing that you do that Marty talked about and like made them all recite something that they do that I talked about. It was crazy. So that was just like that affirmation for me that like, I'm walking in the right path right now. You know, don't doubt yourself say yes, even before you're ready, before you think you're ready, like all those things was just like affirming. So yeah, that would probably be my favorite.
0: It's like you, you hear these athletes talk about what, what was your welcome to the league moment? Yeah. Or like that sound like made, that, that right? was your like mama. I made it moment. Like right, right. nah, magic approved this. I don't care what well, none of y'all say <laughs> right, magic right. approved this and y'all can't tell me nothing for two years Yeah, at least. No
1: exactly
0: <laughs> so That's all the, congrats on that oh man this has been amazing just hearing your your thought process and like how much you have passion for athletes um but we did want to ask you one more question before we transition what does it mean for marty to be authentically i love that question
2: um What does it mean for Marty to be authentically Marty? So for me, it means that I'm walking in my purpose. Um, I am surrounding myself or I'm surrounded by people that I don't have to perform for, right? Um, Or I don't feel the need to perform for. Um, I have and I respect my boundaries. I don't think it's easy to be authentically you, to be honest. It it isn't easy for me. It's something that I constantly have to work on because I have been trained my whole life. I've been trained, you know, to perform, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to walk in my purpose is reminding myself or being able to be authentically me is reminding myself, what are your core values? And measuring every decision that I make against those values. Like, is this in line with my faith, my family, self-growth? in service to others if it's not going to advance any of those things then i can respectfully decline or walk away you know even though there's opportunities that might come up that might be great but i have to have that courage to you know walk away from something that's no longer serving my purpose or what i was placed on here to do so i think that's what being authentically me looks like what it means not easy to do but i'm trying and trusting myself that i can continue to do that um, and share on platforms like this. So I appreciate you both for allowing me the space, sharing your space with me today and allowing me uh, to be a part of this. I really do.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story um, and allowing people just to hear your passion. And I, I love that answer too. I love what you said about, but it is time for our next segment, which is called Rapid Fire now this is where we ask you three questions it's gonna be the first thing that come to mind don't don't ask your husband don't phone any don't don't call up magic like okay. the first thing that comes to mind
1: I mean if you do have him be on the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. i mean if you do so, put it on speaker on. clearly
0: yes, um, yes. so first question is what's the strangest item in your refrigerator refrigerator right now and how did it end up there
2: hmm strangest item in the refrigerator um probably some um makeshift apple cider vinegar mixed with like it's like a potion i've put together for my skincare routine um how did it end up there i mean i was told to preserve it in the fridge so be careful not to touch that because it's not something you should eat
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's for my skin <laughs>
1: I love it. if you were to get a tattoo to sum up the last year of your life what would you get
2: the last year of my life oh my I would get a tattoo of a roller coaster because <laughs> it's been a roller coaster of emotions Woo, planning true. a wedding having a wedding traveling doing all the things it's been a lot <laughs> it's all right. been a
0: lot and the last, the last question is what's the most embarrassing sports moment you've ever experienced either as a player or a spectator?
2: Oh, okay. I have this one. I remember I was in high school and you know, those like sweatpants that you can pull out that had like the buttons on the side. I was wearing those and I was going for a ground ball and I stepped on the bottom of the pants and it ripped them off and literally bared myself boom sweatpants off so embarrassing mm,
0: was this in a game
2: no 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 this was practice it was practice but it was embarrassing <laughs> i pants myself
0: you, yeah right <laughs> there's was there's like nobody you could blame it on man this again this has been an amazing episode um marty where can people find you and what do you have going
2: oh love that question so you can find me on social media love instagram and tiktok are the platforms i'm on most often at the marty reed that's spelled t-h-e-m-a-r-t-i-r-e-e-d and then also at themartyreed.com where you can also order my book it's also found on amazon utility player life um and what's coming next is utility player life online courses baby let's go
1: (laughs) you heard it here first y'all
0: you heard it here first yes breaking
2: news breaking news again
0: this has been an amazing episode marty we're so grateful to have you on the podcast today um well marty i think it's like a mic drop moment we 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 had a great experience um, I felt like we won the national championship with you throughout this oh. this episode.
2: Thank <laughs> you. Sweet.
0: sweet. And until next time, Marty, be authentic in everything that you do. Peace. First of all, talk about a UCLA Bruin tried and true. She she is the epitome of a student-athlete Who took what she learned from a prestigious college Academically and athletically And turned it into her career Turned it into her life Turned it into her passions What a great episode with Marty I'm so so thankful to hear her story as, as a fellow
1: athlete Yeah, it's... Like, I'm not an athlete at all I'm so... Like, I'm excited to read her book and dive in and, um, think through, like, how do I, how do I not just think of myself as one particular thing, whether it's a father, canvas minister, but, like, how do I grow in other areas so that I'm versatile in life? Yeah. Get
0: her book um it is called the utility player life utility player life she said it's on amazon you can purchase it from her website essentially it's about how to be a utility player how to be all those things like you said tony all those things that you are and how to do them well and also how to transition so shout out to marty so excited i'm glad that we had her on the podcast but you guys know what time it is it is time for the time of all times, I have to get close so you guys can understand. What time? this is our friendship moment, oh. the friendship moment where we talk about. Well, it's not really we're talking about. It. We're just learning about each other, and you guys get to go on this journey with us. Simply put, and Tony, do I have a question for you? My question for you, Tony, is: Has there been a time where you have felt? Particularly close or connected with me, uh, and what what made that moment? Yes,
1: yeah, so I I've shared this before on the podcast, but it was the first moment I think it was at it came Falling Spring when I saw you crying, um, because. You know, like we always say like I saw a black man crying, it gave me permission to cry when that was the appropriate uh emotion. So you guys know I'm still I'm still I'm still a thug. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I'm so hood <hurt. laughs>
0: It's okay to cry, guys. Especially men. It's okay to cry, it's okay to show emotions. Um, You don't need to bottle those things up, which we talk a lot about throughout our podcast. So thank you guys for rocking with us. Tony, thank you for sharing that moment. I'm so glad that we get to share these and we get to share those with you guys, our guests and our listeners and our viewers.